0: good morning it's great to worship with you all again if you're visiting welcome we're thankful that you're joining us i know there's a lot going on today my uh my precious sister is here so uh say hi to her if you can but she's an introvert like me so don't say hi too hard Uh, well thank you so much always for your prayers and support Really, really means a lot to me and Amy. Thank you guys. Uh, I'll try to make the sermon brief, but hopefully we could still feed on God's word together. We're in a series called Empowered, and we're looking at the question, what does it mean to receive from Jesus as we follow him out in the world? Um, Discipleship means being empowered by the grace of our great discipler, and then living out that grace in our lives. And we've been taking that from this pattern in the middle of Matthew. Jesus heals, then teaches about discipleship. Heals, teaches about discipleship, and finally heals, teaches about discipleship, and sends his people out. It's that dynamic of receiving and following. Last week we looked at his first lesson about discipleship, about the cost. Uh, today we come to another set of Jesus healings, Matthew eight twenty-three to nine eight. Let me read it for us, and then we'll get into it together. Hear the word of God. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? He then rose and rebuked the winds and sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way and behold they cried out what have you to do with us O son of god have you come here to torment us before the time now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them and the demons begged him saying if you cast us out send us away into the herd of pigs and he said to them go so they came out and went into the pigs and behold the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came into his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, you are ruler over all. Teach us to be comforted by that today. In your name, amen. There's an important book coming out next year. It's by social psychologist and author Jonathan Haidt at NYU. And it's called The Anxious Generation, How the Great Rewiring of Childhood is Causing an Epidemic of Mental Illness. And the author presents pretty substantial research, arguing that starting in the early 2010s, there was a global skyrocketing in the rates of anxiety, depression, self-harm, and even suicide among young people, millennials and now Gen Z. And a major reason, he says, has to do with the decline of what he calls play-based childhood and the rise of phone-based childhood. Uh, So on one hand, there's been this increasing need to overprotect young people from the real world, things like playing outside, falling down, interacting with diverse backgrounds, which is all part of growing up. And on the other hand, a tendency to underprotect young people from the virtual world, exposing them to thousands of opinions and voices and information on their phones every day. Haidt then argues that having a consistent authority to teach us about life, whether it's from a family member or a community or even our own mistakes, that consistency is healthy for our formation. Um, It's when life becomes mostly virtual, and a million perspectives cloud our brains that there's more and more insecurity. I begin with that because our passage today calls us to ground ourselves in a faithful authority when we face life's obstacles. Uh, we might not be in our teens anymore, but, but, but so many of us struggle with similar anxieties, maybe in different ways. Our hearts can be burdened with a lot of different pressures. Jesus calls us to be still and know that he's God. That's a practice of healing, to preach that to ourselves. Well, in our text, we see, see three instances where Jesus reveals his authority. Number one, over the storm. Number two, over the enemy, and number three, over sin. First, over the storm. So Jesus gets into a boat with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee, and it, and it says a great storm arose so that the boat, uh, the boat was swamped by waves. Another word for storm in the Greek could be earthquake. So this was a very violent uh, moment. And it was a common occurrence in Galilee, which was 600 feet below sea level. Desert winds would accumulate over the waters and cause extreme conditions. Well, Jesus was sleeping through this. I don't know how. Uh, but naturally, the disciples wake him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to die. Now, now this is an interesting plea. Right? They recognize he's Lord. They recognize that he could save them, but in their hearts, they're still afraid. Uh, So Jesus reassures them, why are you afraid? You have little faith, and he calms the storm. Two things that I think Jesus wants us to see here. Uh, First, his heart is to grow the disciples' trust. Uh, They were so focused on the waves in that moment that even though they said Lord, they forgot that he's actually Lord. So he redirects their attention to himself. Second, Jesus shows that he understands human weakness. See, if he was sleeping through a tsunami, it most likely means he was extremely exhausted. Uh, He had just preached the Sermon on the Mount, and then right away he had to do ministry on the streets, walking for hours. And this was a rare moment where he could rest his eyes, and he probably just knocked out. This God who calmed the seas also knew what it felt like to be overwhelmed. Family of God, does it feel like you're in a storm right now? Uh, Does it feel like you're constantly being chased by time and stress in your day to day? Uh, And if you don't get things together, your life will crumble? Jesus is asking you do you know who He is? Do you know that He has the authority over your future? That He's keeping watch over His own? Do you know that He is the good shepherd? Sometimes the shepherd has to lead his flock into valleys or unknown territory, but he knows exactly where he's taking you, and he's keeping his full attention on you. So Jesus says to keep your eyes on him one day at a time, his wise authority even over your current storm, and he will bring you through to where you're supposed to be. There's a video of legendary race car driver Jeff Gordon. He disguises himself as some random dude and goes to a car dealership to prank somebody. Well, he meets an unsuspecting car uh, car salesman and asks if he could test drive one of their Chevy Camaros. And of course, this guy wants to sell a car, so he lets Jeff get behind the wheel and they go on a drive together. And there are hidden cameras set up in the car, and soon enough, Jeff is going pedal to the metal, just swerving left and right, going over... Ramps, drifting, donuting, and you see this car salesman screaming for his life, his face turning completely white with panic, cursing, yelling at Jeff, stop the car, stop the car now. Uh, And when Jeff finally brings the car back to the dealership, this salesman is furious. Who the heck do you think you are? I'm calling the police. And then Jeff goes up to him, he says, calm down, there's a camera here, there's a camera there, and he takes off his disguise and says, I'm Jeff Gordon. And this salesman's mouth drops, and he lets out a huge sigh of relief and starts laughing, and the crew starts clapping for him. But the funniest part of the video is what this salesman says next. Uh, This guy, who was just a few minutes ago fearing for his life, uh, looks at Jeff Gordon and says, Can we do it again? (laughs) Child of God, the Holy Spirit is able to develop trust in you. As you consistently remind yourself, who is Jesus? Who is He? He's the master of the seas and waves, the creator of my life and the universe. Don't you know that His power and His wisdom is for you? And as we trust Him, He knows it's not easy. In Hebrews, it says He was a priest beset with weakness so He could uh, deal gently with the weak. He doesn't judge us for being scared or stressed. Uh, He feels it with us in our prayers, and he takes one step at a time with us. Today for today, tomorrow for tomorrow, with new mercies. Will you set your heart on him? That's the storm. Next, over the enemy. So they get to the other side of the sea, and Jesus meets two fierce demon-possessed men. And the demons speak to Jesus. They say, why are you coming to us right now? Are you here to torment us before the time? Now, the time is referring to the day of judgment when God will have victory over the enemy. One day there will be a new heaven and a new earth and all evil and tears will be wiped away. And that's what the demons are thinking about here when they say to Jesus, you're here before the time. But the irony is that the demons grasp what Jesus wants his followers to grasp. And that is that there's an urgent spiritual reality. There's an eternal kingdom more important than any possession we could acquire here on this earth. Jesus always wants us to expand our perspective about life. See, 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 the reason we can be generous and pursue justice for others and open up our homes and love people, the reason we can do things like that in Jesus' name, even at the expense of our comfort sometimes, is that these are the things that bring us to lasting enjoyment of him and each other. Wow. These are the eternal things. And so the demons recognize that, eternity, and they say to Jesus, just cast us into the pigs for now. And he does. But the weird detail here is that when the Gadarene people find out what has just happened, they don't say, wow, that's amazing, or uh, Jesus is so powerful. No, what they say is, Please leave. Uh, And the reason is that the herd of pigs dying probably cost the owner a lot of money, and the people didn't want any more economic trouble like that. And it's true that driving the pigs away caused some damage, but it's not that Jesus didn't take the herdsman's livelihood seriously. It's just that in this moment, he was acutely focused on the eternal condition of these demon-possessed men. Uh, the, the demons were so in control of their souls that they were not able to even see God. See, it says they were coming out of tombs under the power of death. So Jesus was willing here to sacrifice earthly goods in order to free them eternally for his kingdom. Um, some of you know Amy and I love demon possession movies. That was actually our first date. Um, Part of what makes those movie, movies so fun, I think, is that they seem pretty removed from our experience, not that relevant. Uh, and that may be true, but family of God, there is, is such a thing as spiritual attack. And the, the enemy can take different forms, whether it's through possession or random obstacles that come our way. The, the goal of the enemy is to stop you from thinking eternally. His goal is to keep your mind locked on yourself and this life only. He doesn't want you to grow in fellowship with Christ or have a bigger perspective on yourself and others. And so even in moments when you feel like you're doing the right thing, maybe particularly when you feel like you're growing in love for Christ and others, he will throw things at you to pull your heart away and believe lies about your Savior. That's why it says in 1 Peter 5, be sober-minded, be watchful, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That word seeking means he's actively looking for opportunities of your weakness to keep your eyes from eternal things. See, the enemy knows that he's going to lose in the end. He just doesn't want you to remember that. Uh, So Jesus calls you in those moments to resist and set your mind. Set your mind on the things that are above on his authority. Um, even over the enemy. So that was over the enemy. And lastly, over sin. Well, Jesus comes back into his own city, which means he has to take on the crowd again. And some friends bring a paralytic to him, showing some level of faith in Jesus. But as always, Jesus goes beyond their faith. He says to the paralytic, "'Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven.'" Now, the friends who brought the man might have been offended by this. Uh, Actually, any first-time reader of this story might be a little confused. Here's a person who's suffering, and Jesus is talking about his sins. Uh, One commentator says this response feels cruel uh, unless we realize that this was a culture that often connected people's diseases with something they committed in the past or some sinful behavior in their present saying their sickness was a kind of consequence or judgment on them. And Jesus' response here shows that even beyond his physical disability, this man was paralyzed first by his guilt and shame and self-blame. And so that's the first thing Jesus wants to take care of for him. He says tenderly, take heart, my son, be encouraged, your sins are forgiven. Well, of course, when the religious leaders hear this, they say to each other, this man's blaspheming. Uh, Only God can forgive sins. And Jesus, uh, knowing their thoughts, confronts them with a rhetorical question. He asks, which is easier, uh, to say your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? Now, people have interpreted this question differently. Uh, To the modern person, your sins are forgiven is the easier thing to say uh, because there's no way to prove that. Right? Saying rise and walk to a paralytic is way more difficult because you have to follow that up with some results. Um, And so the modern interpretation of this text is that Jesus heals the paralytic, which is the more difficult thing to do, in order to prove that he could also do the easier thing, which is to forgive sins. But as much as that might make sense, if we look more closely, there's something deeper going on here. See, to the Jewish audience... Your sins are forgiven was the more difficult thing to say than rise and walk. Of course, both are impossible for humans. But at least with healings, you could be a prophet or a sorcerer, something like that. But in order to say your sins are forgiven, you had to have the direct authority of God himself. And no human being could possess that. So what Jesus is doing in this passage is saying to the world, I'm not here to just be a human healer or a comforter, I could do that and I'll do that, but more than that, I'm here as God for my people. He was purposely asserting his authority as the son and in that authority, he wanted to assure this man's pardon. Family of God, so often we think we know what's best for ourselves. A lot of times we think the solution for our issues is to change our behavior or go away and do more These are good things, but as much as Jesus helps us with those external things, he also wants to give you what only he can give you inside, which is God's assurance that you are perfectly forgiven and enough. Uh, No matter what anybody thinks or what you think about yourself sometimes, the highest opinion, the highest authority in the universe says to you, take heart, you are clean, you are enough, just as you are. Do you hear that over you? Some of you know i'm applying to uh, some school programs right now for next fall and i've been feeling a lot of imposter syndrome even right now i'm scared because since i told you this uh, later if i don't make it i'm going to be embarrassed in front of you so there's some insecurity in me well uh, recently i contacted a friend who's already in a program and i asked him a bunch of questions like how did you uh, format your statement of purpose and what does your resume look like all kinds of things And he sent me some materials which were helpful. But then before signing off, he texted me, Be you. I love you, bro. And I sat with that. Uh, Maybe he knew that that's what I needed to hear from a friend. Jesus came into his own city to take on all the sins and ailments of his people. And later he did that ultimately on the cross. And in the same way, he comes into your life and covers you fully with his sacrifice. King's Cross, we've had a lot on our hearts this year. And when we do feel inadequate or deficient, we sometimes put it on ourselves to fix or hide things. Will you embrace the voice of your savior saying to you, you're doing so well and I love you, take heart. Will you let yourself have that regularly from God himself? So what do we see today? He has authority over your storm, your enemy, and your sins, and he's for you. Allow that truth to speak peace over you this week as you learn to follow him more closely.